And we're going to read just two verses. Um, and while everybody's turning to that, let me just kind of give a little bit of background real quick here. Today is All Nations Sunday. Um, you'll hear more about this in the second half. But uh, it kind of fits very much with what I feel like God has, has put on my heart for today. I hope at this point we all know kind of what's been going on, not just between Israel and Hamas and those things, but also in Ukraine and just in general that our world is, as the world generally is, always messed up, lots of fighting and hatred and those kind of things taking place. Sometimes when we look at that kind of big picture things of what's happening, it can be very easy to feel almost overwhelmed. What, what how can we affect this? How can we help when you look at all the things happening? And I don't know if it's because of, of you know, my military background, having you know, been overseas several times, or whether it's my ER background, seeing stuff there. But whenever I hear about stuff like what's been happening in Israel, there are images that immediately flood my mind. And I won't say any of that necessarily in detail here, but I want to say it like this, that sometimes we can become accustomed to seeing movies and shows and things like that that have all this blood and gore. And so whenever we hear about stuff that's happening in, say, Israel right now, it's almost desensitized. But I will tell you, and anyone who has been in my shoes, which has been plenty, when you see that level of evil in real life, in person, it's overwhelming. How you can even understand another person could have that much hatred for anyone else to do those kinds of things. But it actually leads me into what I want to talk about this morning. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 through 4 says this. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, here's where I want to take my title from, verse 4 here. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. Today, I'm going to talk to you just for a little bit here on that topic, let no man deceive you, if my iPad will cooperate. Okay. Ephesians 5 and 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Jeremiah 29 and 8 says, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. 1 Corinthians 6 says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And finally, 1 John 3 and 7 simply says, little children, make sure no one deceives you. Now, Deception we can think of in a lot of different ways. But what we're seeing here scripturally, and we're going to talk about a lot more in just a minute, is this constant reminder to the people of God to not allow ourselves to be deceived by the world. Deceived to what? We'll talk about that. Let's turn to Isaiah 44, 18 through 20. 
So this, this passage here, most of you have likely heard before. What happens right before verse 18 is it's a story that's being told by Isaiah that there was a man who went and he chopped down a tree and he took one third of the tree and used it to build a fire. He took one third of the tree to build a shelter and then he took the final one third of the tree and made a, a God, little g, an image that he then bowed down and worshiped. And Isaiah is trying to point out here to Israel, the absurdity that this person who cut this tree down is now going to be the thing that he turns around and worships. So listen to what Isaiah says here in verse 18. They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes, that they cannot see, and their hearts they cannot understand. And none considereth in his hearts, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire, yea, I have baked breads upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stalk of a tree? Verse 20, he feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? You know, we often wonder how it's possible. How can people worship the things that they worship? Scripture tells us it's because their heart is full of deception. Or you could also think of it like this. They believe deception because their heart has a lack of truth. What you need to understand is the reason truth is so easy to talk about but often harder to truly find, is because truth will always reveal your shortcomings. Truth cannot set you free without first showing you that you are a prisoner. Truth cannot sanctify you without first showing you that you need sanctification. If you go weeks and weeks without ever feeling that conviction of God bringing to your attention the things you need to change, I dare say that you are not experiencing full truth. Truth will always force you to realize your dependence on Christ. Now, that sounds harsh, but I'll tell you, I actually take great joy and comfort in that. Because what this tells me is that if I will do my part, if I will honestly and earnestly seek God and seek to understand his word, that on his end he would help bring to my mind and my understanding the areas where I am lacking. If you want to know if you are living in what God has for you, if you are living in the anointing that God has for you, it's a fairly simple metric. Do you go day by day and feel that you are on top of the world? There's no conviction. You don't have anything in your life that you think you need to improve on. If that's the case, I would tell you probably to go find a prayer room and do a little bit of digging. And that's not an indictment of any one person in the room. It's just the fact that we are all human and we need God. God is perfect. We are not. Therefore, there is always something more that we should be developing and working on in our own lives to become more like him. I like knowing this because it's the spirit of truth that then reveals these things to us. 
Now turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. It'll also be up on the, the board here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to read just a couple different verses. And we're going to get really into the meat of what I want to talk about today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, simply says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Go down to verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth. Highlight that verse, or, or make a mental note here. Let me read verse 10 again. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Salvation requires a love of the truth. Look at what happens in verse 11. And for this cause, God, not the devil, not man, God. And for this, God, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I remember the first time that I read that verse, and I was very confused because I've always heard that God is not a man that he should lie, that God is truth, that there's no falsity, if you will, there's no lie in God. So I don't understand how this verse is then saying that God is going to force people to believe in a lie. But just like I had to go through the process of really digging this out a little further, if you really read what this scripture here is telling you, it does not say that God lied to the people. It does not say that God planted a lie in their heart. No, no, no. What it's saying is that for these people who refuse to love the truth, for those who went day by day by day refusing to adhere to what God's word said, refusing to seek God first and only looking to their own life and their own ambitions and their own fleshly ways, God would send them strong delusion. Or you could think of it like this. What is it that helps us to know when we're doing wrong? It's the spirit of conviction, right? God gives us conviction whether through his word, whether it's by his spirit in prayer or by another person. God lets us know that we are wrong by giving us conviction. But what is happening here is when we as people refuse and reject God's truth for so long that our conscience becomes seared and no longer affected by the lies that we believe, that at some point God will say, okay, here's the strong delusion. That conviction that's been pulling 
you back toward me all this time that you keep rejecting over and over and over and, and you refuse to adhere to, I'm taking that back. So that spirit, that conviction is no longer in their hearts. And because they have not the conviction of God, they now fully believe in the lie to the extent that they no longer can even tell that it's a lie. That's a dangerous place to be in. We all have struggles. We all have those areas of our lives that, you know, we face on a regular basis. And sometimes I worry that we as a church, or even just in, in general, and people, we think that if you sin on this issue, whatever this issue is, and you go a week and then you sin on it again, and you go six months and then you sin on it again, sometimes we say, well, you must not really love God. You, you sinned on that three times now in the past six months. Okay, we're all human. We all have our own different individual struggles. It's not a justification to keep doing wrong, but what it should let us know is that God understands that we are in a process of sanctification, right? That we haven't arrived there yet, but we are heading in that direction. That is a very different picture than what God is talking about in this one. In this one, there is no longer even an effort to try and stop from the sin. There's no longer even an attempt to look in the word, to learn how to change your life or to be more like God. And it's in this attitude, in this uh, lifestyle that God then removes that conviction from the person and they believe the lie to the extent they no longer even realize they're deceiving their own selves. Now turn with me to Matthew 24. And while you're turning there, let me set the backdrop to what's about to happen here. The year was approximately 35 AD, and Tiberius was the emperor of the Massive Roman Empire. Rome expanded across all of modern-day Europe and beyond. Israel was nothing but a tiny sliver of this enormous empire. And for Tiberius and the Roman Senate, Jesus and his followers were nothing more than a small blip on their radar, nothing to be overly concerned about. But as for Israel itself, it was under the iron fist of the local Roman leaders. Constant persecution and heavy taxation were the order of the day. But before you can read 24, starting in verse 1, before you can read that, you have to know what happened in Matthew 23. You see, in Matthew 24, which we're about to start to go through, we hear the, the hopefully well-known Final discourse of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, there are five, they call them discourses, basically five major themes that occur. And they basically go through the progression of God's calling people to himself, God sanctifying the people, God sending the people out to help others be sanctified. And now we get to the final discourse, meaning this is the final theme or, or lesson that Christ is wanting people to know before he is crucified. And this starts in Matthew 24 here where it talks about his ultimate return and the tribulation that precedes that from happening. But before you can appreciate this message about the end time, about Christ's resurrection and return. You need to know what was happening in chapter 23. In chapter 23, it starts with Jesus going into the temple. Okay, remember that part. He goes into the temple. And in the temple, 
he is having this back and forth with the Jewish leaders, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he is explaining to them how how upset he is with them because they not only fail to worship God in truth, but they then stop others from worshiping God in truth. And so the entire chapter 23 is Jesus explaining why God is not pleased with what the Pharisees and the Sadducees are doing. That because of their position, they have influence over the children of Israel, but they are using that influence to peddle lies, not to help the people change, but to keep themselves in positions of power and prestige, to make sure they keep the children of Israel under their thumb, that they remember that they're the ones in charge. So now, imagine all of that. God's indignation, he is angry, he's upset with them. Um, some people refer to this chapter 23 as the great denunciation. Basically, God's entire uh, uh, discourse of yelling at these alleged leaders and why he's so upset with them. Okay, now, chapter 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. So what we're about to read here happens immediately after Jesus explained why he was so mad at these Jewish leaders. So what he's about to sit down and start talking about is coming partially from a place of, of anger with those people, but then warning his disciples of what needs to happen going forward. So it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, the people there only thought that what he was referencing was the building, the physical building that was going to be overthrown, which we know did happen. In 70 AD, the Romans came in, they sacked the whole place, destroyed the temple, obliterated all of the structures there on that temple mount, if you will. But Jesus' statement here goes beyond that. Jesus wasn't only saying that he is going to have this temple thrown down, but he's going to take all that they think they know about faith and about salvation, and he's going to turn all of that upside down also. Verse 3 says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, telling, When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now listen to verse 4. They hear Jesus prophesy about the temple being overturned. They don't necessarily yet understand about how that spiritually also, that their whole system is going to be overturned. All they know is Jesus has been talking about this time where he's going to come in and he's going to set up this kingdom and he's going to bring peace on earth and he's going to do all of these things. So the disciples are anxiously awaiting. When? When can we get to see all of this amazing stuff happen? But his initial response in verse 4 is very telling. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. 
and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes and, and diverse or, or, or many different places. Now, a lot of people stop right here and they can somewhat either become fearful and or cynical because what they will say here is that, whoa, 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 all this stuff has been happening forever. Wars, rumors of wars, people acting badly, children not listening to their parents. I tell you, that definitely still happens today. But Jesus is pointing, kind of painting this picture, this framework. It's not just about saying, yeah, you're hearing these wars, rumors of wars. Got all that. But there's something deeper to it. Let's read on. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Just because the wickedness of this world continues to grow, Evildoers seem to be prospering. People are lying on a regular basis to themselves and others, propping up the wickedness of this world. But we must take heed that when we look at all of the wickedness of this world, that we do not allow our love to wax cold. We have to be careful that we do not allow ourselves to become so offended at what the world is doing and saying that we then allow that offense to harbor something within our heart that our love then turns cold. Jesus is telling the disciples about all of these things that are about to happen, not to scare them. Jesus is not saying this because he wants them to be fearful. No, he's telling them this because he wants them to be ready. Because in this time, just as now, there are people who need salvation. But if we as the church operate from this constant spirit of fear, where we turn on the news and we see what's happening, and we become so overwhelmed and consumed by fear, what are we not going to do? We're not going to be bold and step out in faith to witness to others because it might come back to hurt us with all the things happening. We are going to withhold our love and message to others because we see all of the wickedness and stuff happening that we become cynical and jaded and we say, this world is messed up. I don't even want to mess with this anymore. And we allow ourselves to become disillusioned and we lose sight of the promise. But church, I want you to know all the things mentioned in Revelation, all the things in Matthew 24, those in the book of Daniel, especially 9, uh, those in the book of Ezekiel, all of those references that are making prophecy of Christ returning is good because it is something we can look to and say, yes, all of this stuff is happening. But what that tells me is God is faithful. He said it would, ha would happen. It's happening. And if he was right about this, he must also be right about eternity. 
If he was right about all of these things that would come to pass, he must also be right about how his death on the cross sanctified us from the wickedness of this world about how that his love reached down from the beginning of time to bring us into relationship with him. What I'm trying to say is, do not be fearful of those things. Instead, be faithful in these things. Be faithful in the promises of God. Because just like those things he said will come to pass, so too will all the promises of no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness. That we can live in eternity with Christ. Encourage yourself that the things you suffer now are only temporary. And as the word says, that it does not even, you can't even compare the things you experience now to the joy that is to come. It will seem like small blip on a radar. Verse 13. But he shall, he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and the end, and then shall the end come. Verse 13 and 14 should tell us what the mandate is. The reason he tells his disciples about what's going to take place is because first he wants them to understand they need to equip themselves with knowledge of the word, with their feet prepared with the gospel of peace, that they would carry the shield of faith, that they would stand tall with the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. He is wanting them to be prepared for war. Because what he is saying that all of this stuff's going to happen, you must endure to be saved, but not just for you to be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. Who's doing the preaching? You and me, the church. God wants you to know about the things to come, not to scare you, but number one, to equip you, and number two, to help you to understand. Teaching a Bible study shouldn't be something that we do simply because we want a pat on the back or we want to add another number to our, our, our Bible study count. No, we teach Bible studies because we understand there is a hell that is real. And I don't want anyone to go to hell. And neither does Jesus. So no matter how upside down this world is, no matter how wicked and evil man is, we have to keep pressing. We have to keep reaching for the lost. Because if we don't, who will? Now this might sound controversial, but the gospel is not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, before you throw stones at me, give me just a minute to explain this. You see, I worry that sometimes we believe that all we need to do is preach the death, burial, and resurrection, and then we are done. Once we tell people about the plan of salvation, our box has been checked. We no longer have any obligations. We fulfill what God has called us to do, and therefore we can go ahead and sit back at this point. The truth is, is that we need to preach death, burial, and resurrection. Absolutely we need that. We need to know that Acts chapter 2 and 38 is still relevant to today. That it is the eternal gospel 
But the gospel of Christ does not just tell you why you need to change, but it also tells you how you need to change. The word of God not only tells us how to obtain salvation, but it also shows us how to obtain sanctification. The gospel we must carry to this world is not just a once upon a time I was saved gospel. But it needs to be a gospel of let me show you how he has changed me. Verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Notice the progression here. Jesus starts by listing road signs that are pointing toward what's going to come, about the rise of the Antichrist. And then he turns that toward Jesus. Verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. If I started this message, and I skipped verses 1 through 20, and I only began this message with verse 21, and said to you, and then there shall be great tribulation. It's going to be so bad like nothing you've ever seen. I would understand why you might be afraid. If all you hear when people talk about end time, if you will, is, is oh man, it's going to be so bad. There's going to be so much tribulation. I understand why you may avoid the book of Revelation. But this is unfortunately what we, society, but unfortunately within the church itself, we have done to this topic. We have preached this mentality of one of two things. It's so scary, I just won't look. Or, it's so scary, there's no way God would ever let me go through that. And both of them are just as dangerous. We'll talk about why they're dangerous to you here in just a bit. But it's also dangerous to everyone else. Remember, what was it in chapter 23 that Jesus was so upset about. In chapter 23, he was upset because the leaders of that time were not pointing people to Jesus. They were not pointing people to the law and how to be changed, how to be sanctified. They were not giving the people the word that they actually needed to live for God. They were giving the people the word that they wanted them to know, so they followed them. That made Jesus angry because they, and actually in that same chapter, it talks about how that not only do you not come before God, but you shut the doors up so the other people can't come to God either. Newsflash. It still applies today. If we as the church, because we don't want to talk about the big, bad, scary things, just ignore it and we don't tell anyone else about it, we are doing the same thing. Because of our comfort and not wanting to deal with that stuff, we don't look at it, but we also don't tell others to look at it. Listen to what it says here in verse 23. There in, then if any man shall un come, say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. The word Christ is a title. I know we all know this, but hear me out. The word Christ is a title, not a name. The reason why you have to know that is, they did not say, 
that there's going to be someone out there who says they're Jesus. That's not what that scripture says. The scripture says, no, no, no. When you hear people say that they are the Christ, what does Christ mean? The anointed one. The Messiah. The one who brings salvation. So they don't need to stand up and say that they're Jesus. They don't even have to necessarily stand up and say that they're God. What they will say, though, is that they alone have the road to salvation, the thing that you need to be saved, that they would say that they are the anointed one. Okay, already run out of time. Look at verse 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders in so much, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Who is the elect? Us, the church. Every reference to the elect that you read throughout all of the New Testament is a reference to the church. It's not a reference to some separate set of people who have some kind of special relationship. No, it is the church. And this right here tells me why we cannot just skip this topic. Because this says, if it were possible, even the elect, you, me, the church, would be deceived. How could we be deceived? Well, all of those opening verses said exactly why we're deceived. Because we do not have a love for the truth. Now wait, you say, no, 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 I believe in, I believe in Jesus' name, baptism. Great. I believe in oneness. Great. I don't necessarily agree with what the Bible says about the rapture and the inside. Well, now we've got a problem. Because you believe in truth only as it suits you, but then refuse to believe in truth when it says something you don't agree with. Now... You don't believe in, let's say, that Christ is going to return after the tribulation. All of a sudden, you see all of this bad stuff happening. And now you're like, whoa, 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 no, no. I thought we weren't going to be here for any of this. But that wasn't true. Maybe the rest of it's not true either. And you can see very quickly how we can become deceived. Because we believe in our own mind how we think the end time should go. And when it doesn't go that way, we can become disillusioned very quickly. But if you're at all confused, look here in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be dark and the moon shall give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect. There's that word again. What is the elect? Us. This says here, after the tribulation of those days, then shall the Son of Man, come in the clouds. And then shall the elect be taken up. I don't say this to scare you, because like I said, this is not a message of fear. Because the same God that is here now, that protects us, that provides for us, that stands with us, that walks side by side with us, is the same God who will be at that time too. God's character doesn't change because we're in a different time frame. God is able to protect you now. He will be able to protect you then. Now, I have run out of time, so I want to do this. I'm going to kind of move down here. 
because this is what I, why I want to bring this to your attention. Whenever we look at the news, we see things happening between Israel and Palestine. When we see that sensationalist stuff happen on the news, all of a sudden now, all the people come out of the woodwork, ooh, this is the end time. I know this is the end time. How do you know it's the end time? You haven't been to church in 10 years. You haven't opened your Bible once in 10 years. You haven't prayed to God. You haven't done anything. But now you know this is the end time. Why? Well, my, my mother, brother, whoever told me there would be wars and rumors of wars. Well, that is true. But here's the problem. That person then operates in what they think to be truth about how things are going to happen. But they don't have God's truth, the word, guiding them through this process. So now, here is this person who is not bothered to understand the word, not bothered to maintain a relationship. And now we see things happen on the news and they say, oh, this, this is going to be the end time now. And one of two things are going to happen. Number one, if it's not the end time, you say that enough times, people will say, you're either a false prophet or the boy who cried wolf. They're not going to listen to you anymore, right? In all the movies, you think about the guy standing on the street corner with the sign, the end is near. Well, they're not wrong. But if people hear that with no other information of truth, they say, you know what? People have been saying this forever. It's not going to happen. But you don't know what's supposed to happen next, so how can you know if it's happening? And the reason it matters is, number one, because if we don't know, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. Now, here's the thing. When you, and I'm just speaking openly here, not to any one person. When you allow yourself to have a heart of deception because you have not taken the time to know the word, to know what God said is going to happen, you not only condemn yourself to hell, now you potentially condemn all those that you could and should have been reaching during the time because you refuse to know the truth. How can you teach others the truth? Daniel 11, 32 and 33, I'm not going to read it right now, but I, I highly encourage you, write that verse down. Read that verse. Really understand it because it says this. It says that when all of this stuff is happening, it says, them that do know their God, will be strong and do exploits. They will do great things for the kingdom of God. And they that understand the scriptures, the word, they that understand shall instruct many. Notice there are two pieces to this. First, you have to have a relationship with God, a relationship built on the fullness of truth. Earlier I said the gospel isn't just the death, burial, and resurrection. The reason I said that is because of this. If all we looked for is that death, burial, resurrection, so we receive the Holy Ghost and that's the end, we're missing what the whole purpose is. Paul says, if all I have is this talk about, about what I can do now, and I don't believe or understand or, or have faith that God is actually going to return, and then I'm going to live with him in eternity, I am of all men most miserable. If I have no hope and no assurity that what I do now will eventually end and I will live with Christ, what's the point? 
So first, you have to encourage yourself in that. But second, you need to understand because God has put you and you and you and you and me in specific places to reach certain people. You will be Jesus to people that I may never meet, that I may never see or talk to. But we all have the same Jesus. And that's why we need to know these things happening. Corey Ten Boom, and I've referenced this story many times, but I just, I always come back to this because I think it encapsulates so well what we need to think about. Corey Ten Boom lived as a Christian in Europe during World War II and was in a concentration camp because she supported the Jews. She wasn't Jewish, but she supported the Jews, and she gets thrown into a concentration camp along with some of the very Jews she was trying to protect. After living through that experience, she penned numerous books toward Christians that talk about the need to learn how to endure persecution for Christ and not just simply pray to avoid them. In one book, she stated this, and this is what I will close with. There are some among us teaching there will be no tribulation, that the Christians will be able to simply escape all of this. These are false teachers that Jesus was warning about. Most of them have little knowledge of what is already going on across the world. I have been in countries where the saints are already suffering terrible persecution. And I'll add to that, there have been Christians being martyred and beheaded for all of my life all of my parents' life, all of my grandparents' life. You see, the, 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 the trap that we as Americans fall into way too often is that we turn on the news and we hear about all of this happening and we think, wow, the world is on fire now. Look, that's happening. But are oblivious to the fact that there has been genocides and horrible things happening for generations don't let what you see on the news be the only thing that you use to measure where we are in God's timeline. Compare the truth of what you think to the word. If it lines up with the word, great. If it doesn't, toss it. In China, the Christians were told, don't worry, before the tribulation comes, you will be translated or, or changed or raptured. And then came a terrible persecution and millions of Christians were tortured to death. Later I heard a bishop from China saying this, Sadly, we have failed. We should have made the people strong for persecution rather than telling them simply that Jesus would come and we could avoid all of these troubles. Tell the people how to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when tribulation comes, how to stand and not faint. Let's all stand. I hope that in this short little time that you can walk away from here knowing two things. Two things. Number one, do not allow yourself to be deceived. How you can avoid being deceived is only by taking the word of God, which is truth, and loving it. Loving the word to a place that you will seek to do whatever it says, even if it conflicts with what you currently believe.
Truth is truth whether you agree with it or not. It's up to you if you will allow the word to change you or whether you will try to change the word. And number two, there is a world that needs us. There are brothers, sisters, parents, siblings, grandkids in this very room who are represented here that you may be the only person that preaches to them truth. Because I will tell you this, no matter how bad people want to paint the tribulation out to be, it is nothing in comparison to an eternity separate from God. Let us remember to keep our focus and our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind, that your love casteth out all fear. Let us look soberly at the world in which we live, but not fearfully. Let us look at the need and understand that you have given us the strength and the tools and all that we need to go day by day in this time frame. Lord, I also pray that as the, the disciple Jude said, let us be faithful in the word because if it were possible, we could pull one from the fire. Let us not lose sight of the time in which we live, of the God which we serve, and of the role which has been given to us. Help us to remember at all times that we are in this world but not a part of this world. That we may walk on this earth, but it is not our home. We look forward to the day of your return and when all of this will be set aside. But until that day, let us be faithful laborers in the field. Let us walk in faith and not fear. Let us declare boldly the precepts of thy word. And let us seek you at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Come back for worship here in a bit.